you think they've slayed the dragon and now it's just a matter of, uh, of cooking up some, some supper? Quick stick in front, they score! Marcus Johansson, his third goal, and the Capitals take a 1-0 lead. Power play goal, just their second shot of the game. Doesn't matter what I say, Mike, you're gonna write every time, so it doesn't matter what you say. From the draw, a shot from out high gets tipped in. Van Riemsdyk shot it, it went off something and inside the left post. And the Capitals take a 2-1 lead, a minute into period two. You know, he kept squirting through there and... Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. White the like the Millsy's orange tie with the great suit. He's on TV right now. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Did you see the orange tie with the gray suit? Oh, that explains why we were watching yeah. dash cam footage. I know, we were watching car crash for a uh, for a regional sports network. Not a whole lot of programming on this particular thing that we're. I'm not going to mention. They replaying everything. Oh, that's at the end. That's at the end. Would no, you, this is the beginning. Re, is it? it's, it's a replay of the game on AT and T Sports. Because at the end, he threw it to these guys also. All right, yeah. all right. Can so, I, the Golden Knights beat the Capitals last night. Can I update the poll? No, the okay. Golden Knights beat the Capitals last night. <laughs> um, one interesting part we didn't get to earlier in the show. Will Carrier scored the game tying goal in the third period with just under six minutes to play. And I think Bruce Cassidy got lucky because there's no reason Will Carrier should have been on the ice. It was in a that change, scenario. wasn't it? So Carrier and uh, Colasar were on the ice. William Car- or William Carlson had not gotten off the ice yet. Right. Carlson had the assist on the play. Right. But the, fo- the fourth line was on the ice in the final six minutes of a game that they were losing one to nothing. Two to one. Excuse me, two to one. Bruce Cassidy has shown an incredible amount of trust in all four of his lines. The Golden Knights have done a great job of getting production from all four lines. They haven't had a, you know, none of their lines have been bad over the course of this season to be like, oh, there's some problems there. They've pretty much all been good. But, la- but normally, when you're losing a game late, you stop playing your fourth line, right? You might even stop playing your third line, depending on who's on it. Right. And you try to go to your top two lines as much as possible. And last night, the fourth line had an 8% Corsi and a 0% expected goals. They generated one shot attempt when they were on the ice together last night, and it was uh, blocked. They did not have a single shot on net when the fourth line was on the ice last night. Now, again, it doesn't technically count as the full fourth line when William Carlson is out there, right? Because right. there's only change, two of the yeah. three that are out there. Exactly. But when the three fourth liners were out there together, they had one shot attempt, and it was blocked. They were awful last night. T- terrible, right? When you're losing, and even if the fourth line's playing well, you probably shouldn't really put them on the ice very much in the final 10 minutes of a game. But when they suck that badly, you, you definitely should not have them on the ice, but yet that's the line that scored. Cassidy's gotten a lot of credit for how much he's trusted his third and fourth line, and deservedly so. They've been good this year. He got extremely lucky last night that William Carrier scored the game-tying goal because there's no reason he should have been on the ice last night, and yet he's the one that scores it. Great pass by Carlson. It was. And here's the thing that was funny about Carlson's pass. I don't know what the Capitals were doing, but William Carlson had enough time to go control the puck, on look, the boards. look over his shoulder, 
yeah. see William Carrier look back at the puck two players. and then pass it to him. Yeah. Guy had 30 minutes yeah. to make the pass. And he's like, on the boards, and it's yes. like they didn't come and hit him and try to uh, try to uh, steal the puck. Like, what was happening there with the cat? Go go make it difficult on, on William him. Carlson. Yeah. It can't be that hard to just hit him, hit him, disrupt the pass. Like, right. you don't even have to make a great play. Just make put him under a little bit of pressure. But he had enough time to control everything, turn completely around to find Carrier, and then make the pass. I don't know what the Capitals were doing there. But... Last night was an example of Cassidy trust all his lines, trust the fourth line. And he got lucky last night because they scored that most of the time if the fourth line's getting caved in that badly in a game. You're not playing him at that point in the game. And How many? And they're not scoring either. You said there are eight minutes? When the goal was scored, there was just under six. It was like 550 okay. something or whatever. Just under that. So he got lucky last night. If the fourth line is playing that poorly in the future, they're not going to score the game tying goal. For the Golden Knights. Uh, But it worked last night, so good for them. Um, Now, something outside of last night's game. Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun, he uh, talked to Bill Foley and asked about Robin Leonard, right? Robin Leonard um, has had, what, shoulder surgery and two double hip hip surgeries. Um, But Foley got asked about Robin Leonard and his rehab, and here's what Bill Foley said. I haven't talked to him lately. He's had a tough summer having labrum surgery and double hip surgery. I hope he comes back. I hope he gets better. These are really serious surgeries. I don't know if he's going to be back or not. Could Robin Leonard's career be over? It could be. I wonder if Robin Leonard wants to come back to the Golden Knights. With all the turmoil and upheaval we've heard about him with management inside, I wonder if he ever gets healthy enough that he'd want to come back to the Golden Knights. So you read that as... Foley saying, I hope he comes back to us, not I hope he comes back to play hockey. Well, I read it as Foley saying that. Right, because I I read it as, I don't know, I read it as Bill Foley saying he might never play hockey again. And you're reading it as Bill Foley saying he might not play for us again. Okay, I think you you have a valid point. I just didn't, that didn't cross my mind. He, Robin Leonard has... uh, this year and then two more seasons oh, under, under five contract. million a year. Yeah, under five million a year for the Golden Knights. What would be the option for the Golden Knights if Leonard does want to come back but doesn't want to play for Vegas? I mean, could you move him? Will you be able to trade a guy? I mean, would you be able to trade off? a guy coming off two hip surgeries, a labrum, and five million a year? <laughs> right, and then who didn't play right. the entire season? That's a, that's a lot. We just saw a guy, a guy get traded who was suspended for gambling. So, you know, well, like, tra- weird trades happen. You, you know that guy can come back and play, right? Like, this is this well, a lot of injuries with Robin As long Leonard. as he's not hanging out with Danny. So, I'm, I'm fascinated to see, like, what happens here. Because the other part of this equation, what happens if Logan Thompson well, is this good? What if, I was just going to say that not only Logan Thompson, whoever his backup is. Yeah. What if these guys just keep playing like this? And given their contract situation, I think Aiden Hill's a, a free agent at the end of the year. But Logan Thompson, they got this year and two more years of under a million dollars from mm-hmm. Logan Thompson. Now, maybe he ends up getting a raise because if he is this good, he might hold out and be like, listen, you're not right. paying me $700,000. But they conceivably have a really cheap goalie in Logan Thompson. And if he is going to be good, then you don't want $5 million Robin Leonard. No. 
on when you're up against a salary cap like this. You don't you're trying to find a way to get out of that. So I'd be fascinated to see what they do, you know, at well, the end of the summer. With that much money, he's going to try to come back, I would imagine. I would think so, too. I would think he's, uh, what's, how many year more years? Three? This year and then two more after it. So $15 million. I right. don't think he's walking away from yeah. that if he can get healthy. So I'm very curious to see what they do there. And I think what Bill, Fo- Bill Foley saying that, whether it's what I thought or what you thought, right? Whether it's, hey, Robin Leonard might not play hockey again, or it's just simply Robin Leonard might not play for the Golden Knights again. I'm curious to see what Leonard wants to do, because here's the other thing. Robin Leonard's usually he's talked a lot about mental health, um, but this is physical health. I could see Robin Leonard being like, this is too much to come back from. Like, I, I, I just need to shut it down like for a career. So I think it's very easy to see Robin Leonard sort of going in a, hey, and just retire. Right. Or or like you said, I think it's very easy to see him say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm back. I want to play, but I'd rather go somewhere else and do it. Right, especially if Thompson is good, right? You come back and say, "Oh, you got Thompson." Yeah, you got Thompson. Uh, yeah, I'd be a backup to him. Yeah. So I fascinated uh, what happens there, even if it's going to be a little ways away. And curious, curious phrasing by Bill. Well, Foley. the earliest is next year, right? Yeah. I mean, I think technically he could play this year, but they're not going to have bring him back. No, bring him back for the playoffs when long time <laughs> IR doesn't matter anymore. That'd be great, wouldn't it? McCrimmon. Oh, Robin Leonard's ready to go. April. That'd be so fun. Robin Leonard doesn't play a whole game, and, and then, then he, he comes, comes back in. and he <laughs> hey, starts over. Hey, Logan, sit yeah. down. Logan Thompson has like a nine three five. Wins the Vesna, and they're like, you know what we're gonna do? <laughs> we're gonna bring Robin back because he's healthy finally. He's gonna start. Be great. I that would be phenomenal entertainment. So, Robin Leonard, we'll see what actually happens here. Uh, the Golden Knights have what is it? Five more road games on this trip. Four. It's a, four it's a five game five road game trip. trip total. Are they gonna win them all? I'm saying, I said from the very beginning, they're going to lose to, Eichel's going to go back and lose to Buffalo. Okay. Alex Tuck will score. Okay, if you're Jack Eichel, I know they've already played Buffalo a couple of times, but if you're Jack Eichel, would you rather have a 4-1 and road trip where the only loss is to Buffalo or a 1-4 and road trip where the only win is Buffalo? What would he say publicly? (laughs) Well, I know what he'd say publicly. Publicly, he'd be like, Buffalo's just another game. But what would Jack Eichel rather have? Because I think it's one and four. I think it's one and four because it's so early in the season. Yes, they already have so many points. It's like it's not like they're last place and they're like struggling to get right. points. They're they're in a pretty good spot. They yeah. could a one and four. So would, now it'd be two and three. Right. Yes, they did already win one, so it'd yeah. be two and three. I definitely or... think he would take two and three and a win over Buffalo. <laughs> one and four is a lot, but two and three, yeah. I think he could take that. Do you think he's looking around saying, "Man, I should have saved that overtime winner for Buffalo"? Oh, that the one on one. That would have been beautiful. Imagine if he did that to Alex Tuck in overtime in Buffalo. <laughs> he feed Alex Tuck. One be great. Yeah. Tuck's been really good for them this year. He's been right? really good. I think so. so. Buffalo's overachieved. Right. Oh, yeah. Better than expected. Yeah. So, I. but I think if you're Jack Eichel, you definitely would rather have had the one and four win in Buffalo. And, be, and, and, oh, and yeah. score. That, oh, yeah, yeah. Score the Gotta winner. score. That'd be great. Or just score a hat trick and you win seven to nothing. And it's right. like you're on the ice for all seven goals yes. or something. Every time he touches the ice, the Golden Knights score. Night score. That'd be great. So they uh, they do have a legitimate chance to like finish this four and one, though. Sure. Like I'm, I'm sure. Ottawa, Toronto's a mess. Buffalo. Buffalo. And I'm blanking on who the other one is. But like there's a legitimate chance the Golden Knights have a crazy good road trip. And come back home and are just on well, a ridiculous you see they play space. when they come back home. No, is it I easy mean, still? Yes. I don't know who made out this schedule for them, man. 
Are there just I, no good teams in the NHL? Is I mean, that the problem? They. Let's see. I, I'm going to say part of the issue is there's no good teams in the West. That and, could be true. Like they've they've already played Colorado and Calgary. All right, Ottawa, Montreal. <sighs> that was it. Toronto, who's just a mess right now. Buffalo. Okay, they come home. I shouldn't have said. They come home for three. St. Louis. Okay, San Jose, Arizona. How many times they can play San Jose? <laughs> and then they go a couple on the road, Edmonton, Vancouver, Ottawa, Seattle at home, Vancouver at home. I mean, they're going to have like 50 <laughs> points, like 20 games. It's like, you got to be kidding me. They are going to uh, clinch the, a playoff spot. In the like only December. time it gets really tough is their next long road trip at Columbus, at Pittsburgh, at Detroit, at Boston. And then they come home for Gerard Glunt in New York. So Ooh. that's kind of tough. Oh, so you're telling, wait, there's back-to-back games where Cassidy goes to Boston and Gallant comes to Vegas? Absolutely. Oh, that's fun. December 5th and December 7th. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's going to be fun early December And games. Boston comes here the next the next week also, December 11th. So, all right, so they get into some. But, man, they could be so far ahead in this division right now. It's it's really fun. Calgary lost the Kraken last night. It's really fun that Boston's really good after getting rid of Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. The Golden Knights They're are like, really, really good, good after getting rid of Pete DeBoer. Yeah. And Dallas is, has been good this he year. He won right? again last night. Dallas is in first place. I don't know what the Rangers have done, but like, I think it's. I think uh, I'll put it out there. Uh, coaches don't matter. Just have a good team, and you can just cycle through all. The, there's 35 coaches in the NHL. Three of them have to right. sit out every year until somebody gets fired and they get hired. Right. Just cycle through them, and you're, as long as your team's good, you're going to be fine. It doesn't matter which one it is. As long as your team's fine, you're going to be just fine. It gives us maximum Tortorella. Uh, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. Can't practice, can't practice. You're hurt, you're hurt. It's as simple as that. But it ain't about that. At all. You're sitting in here, you're supposed to be the franchise player. And yet here we are, talking about you missing practice. Bischoff's briefs. We talking about practice. You understand me? Practice. Not a game, not a game, not the game you go out there and die for, right? Play every weekend like it's your last, right? No, we talking about practice, man. Practice. You know you're supposed to be out there. You know you're supposed to lead by example. You're just shoving that all aside. So here we are. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Bischoff's briefs. Not the game. We're talking about practice with your team, with your teammates. The only place that we get to play together, we got control over. The rest of the time, it's us 11 against those 11. We're talking about practice, man. I'm talking about practice. And you can't do it because you're hurt, right? Fine by me. Bischoff's briefs. Yesterday was the NFL trade deadline. There were 10 trades made. Plus, there were trades leading up to the deadline, like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but 10 total trades made at the deadline. Um, the Raiders did not do anything. Jonathan Abram, Cleveland Furl stayed put. There had been reports about the Raiders potentially trading those two away. They also did not add anything, obviously. No players were coming in. Um, here's what I think um, is the interesting part of the trade deadline. One, I wasn't expecting so many trades, but after seeing how many were that there were, I think the Raiders missed an opportunity because we know that there were 10 trades made. We also know there were teams trying to make a trade that didn't do so, right? Like the Packers were trying to get Chase Claypool. And we also know there were players on the block that didn't go anywhere. Brandon Cooks in Houston, Kareem Hunt in Cleveland. So there were 10 trades made. But there were other teams that wanted to add players, and there were other teams that were trying to sell players at all. 
I highly doubt the Raiders couldn't have made a trade yesterday. Right. So my speculation here is that the Raiders got caught in between trying to win and trying to sell assets for next season. Because this team came in expecting to compete for a playoff spot and more. And those expectations, I guess, can be hard to shake when you're two and even when you're two and five, just seven weeks in, but they are two and five. And it's going to take a special run from this team just to make the playoffs, right? And then it'd take an even better run to go on and win the Super Bowl. So in my mind, the trade deadline yesterday should have been about 2023, right? It should not have been about this. For the Raiders. Yeah, for the Raiders. And, like, here's some upcoming free agents. Because we talked about it yesterday. The Raiders don't have a lot of, like, great pieces to trade away. Here's some upcoming free agents, though. Josh Jacobs, Amir Abdullah, Matt Collins, Foster Moreau, Cleland Furl, Denzel Perryman, Jonathan Abram, Anthony Averett, Deron Harmon. Right? There's some other ones, but those are some of the more notable free agents the Raiders have. If I was the GM of the Raiders, I would have taken all of my free agents and basically gone through the list and said... Who do I want to have back on the team next year? Because that person's going to stay, right? I'm going to try to keep that player around and re-sign them in the offseason. But all the players that I decide, I don't think I'm going to bring him back in the offseason. I'm trying to trade that person, right? So, like, is Denzel Perryman going to be a Raider next year? I don't know. Maybe they like him. But let's just say Denzel Perryman's not going to be a Raider. And somebody wanted a linebacker. If they came and offered a six-round pick for Denzel Perryman, see you later. Denzel Perryman's gone for a six-round pick. A lot of running backs got traded, right? Josh Jacobs, see you later. Like any of those guys, Abram, Cleveland, Furl, if any team wanted them and I didn't want to bring them back next year, I would have traded them yesterday. And I think Jacobs is the one they missed out big time on. We obviously saw Christian McCaffrey get traded for a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth round pick. Jacobs would not have gotten that. But we saw Naheem Hines traded, Chase Edmonds traded, Jeff Wilson traded, right? A lot of running backs got traded yesterday. And Jacobs was better than all of them. Well, and Jacobs is at such a high level, you could have gotten a lot probably. Right. Overall, I think yesterday was a missed opportunity, right? Uh, this franchise has a minuscule chance at make at winning a Super Bowl. They've got a small chance at even just making the playoffs. And they missed an opportunity to maximize value for 2023. And I think that's a problem for the front office when you don't maximize your value. Like, all those guys, if they walk in free agency, what'd the Raiders do? They finished as a six- or seven-win team, and they got absolutely nothing for 2023 out of those players. And finishing as a six- or seven-win team is useless, right? That's that's a bad season where you don't actually gain anything from it. So I think they failed to maximize value. The other side of this, because I said I think they got stuck between being, hey, we thought we were going to the playoffs, but we're two and five, and we don't want to sell a bunch of pieces because we think the team is better than this, but we also don't want to give up assets because we might suck. The other side of this is they could have been buyers at the trade deadline. They could have gone out and added pieces and you go through the roster, right? Offensive line needs help. Pretty much every position defensively needs help. They could use corners. They could use safeties, linebackers, defensive tackles. If Chandler Jones is going to be this bad, they can use some edge rushers. They could have been buyers at the trade deadline. Uh, Dave Ziegler talked this morning and he said that the price was too yeah, high. The price was too high as, as buyers wasn't really that high for a lot of players. Some guys got traded yesterday for late round picks. Like 
Naheem Hines went for a sixth round pick and a running back yesterday. So it, I'm sure they could have added somebody yesterday if they wanted to and actually tried to win this season, gone all in on this season, even though I think that'd be stupid. I think that would have been better than what they did. I think they, they didn't got, do anything. Yeah, they got stuck looking around and saying, we don't know what we are. We don't know if we have a good team or a bad team. We're seven games in and we don't know what we are. So we're not going to do anything because here's the thing. If you're the Raiders and let's just say they trade away Josh Jacobs, right? That wreck, that probably wrecks the team, the locker room the rest of the year, right? I mean, the team's two and five and their best player has been Josh Jacobs and he gets traded away. That probably hurts the locker room quite a bit. and The season's done. But on the other side, if they tried to add players and like, hey, we gave up a second round pick for somebody good and then you still missed the playoffs. Well, you gave up the 40th overall pick in the draft right. and you still won seven games. So I just think they got caught in between of being afraid, basically, of the bad outcome on either side. The bad outcome of, oh, what if we sell? And the bad outcome of, oh, what if we're buyers? When in reality, they should have just picked a path and gone with it, stuck to it and said, that's where we're going. We're going to be sellers. We're going to look at 2023 because we're two and five and we're probably not doing anything. So I think they messed up yesterday and not maximizing their value. And here's the thing. Dave Ziegler, when he's Vic Tafer tweeted out the video, Dave Ziegler, the way he talked, sounded like he didn't even consider being a uh, seller yesterday, which if that's the reality, because I think, again, they got caught in between. But if the reality is he could didn't consider being a seller, that's an even bigger mistake. You're two and five and you don't even consider trading players away for future assets. I mean, you must have gotten calls on some people. I'd assume so. I mean, we had reports of Abram and Furrow. Abram and Furrow, people calling on them. Yeah. I would assume that continued yesterday, unless yeah. they shut them all down. But I'd, I'd assume there were conversations about, hey, what would you, you know, what would you trade Jonathan Abram or Cleveland Furrow for? And in all honesty, unless you're planning on re-signing them, which I don't know why you'd re-sign Jonathan Abram. I could see Cleveland Furrow, hey, we want some depth as a edge rusher, maybe. But, like, if somebody offered anything for Jonathan Abram, you should have traded him yesterday. And all, even if it was just a seventh round pick, you should have traded him yesterday because Abram's not helped. Even if you trade Abram, you can still win as many games this year as you yeah. were before. Put Deron Harmon in with Trayvon Moore. Right. You're, you're going to be fine. So I just think overall missed opportunity to maximize their value or their assets for 2023. It's not terrible. It's not as bad as John Gruden and Mike Mayock's drafting when they didn't maximize value, but it's still a missed opportunity to add some value to their yeah. team that it's a team that needs as much value as they can possibly find. All right, coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Hello, Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you today? Hi, guys. All right. I, I got to start you with a very important question. What did you do? Hi, Lucas. What did you do for Halloween? I had a low-key Halloween. I stayed home. I passed out candy to the little trick-or-treaters, and I uh, watched some movies. Ah. How yeah. many trick-or-treaters? Not that many. You know, it was probably cut in half from previous years. Probably like 10 or 12 groups. Oh, man. Oh, not much at all. 10 or 12 yeah. groups. That's a, that's a lot or that's a little? 
uh, for my neighborhood, that's a lot. But like I told you, halfway down, we walked down the street for the alcoholic beverages. So <laughs> you, I don't know how many people you really left came to your my house, house halfway okay, through exactly. the night. <laughs> <laughs> Were you dressed up on Halloween, Mike? I was not. Ah, okay. Right. I, I was not. Because, uh, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't want to scare people when they come in. I'm just handing out candy. Isn't that the whole point of Halloween, to scare people? I guess, but, okay. you know, I'm just, I'm here by myself. Like, who am I dressing up for? Uh, yourself. It's all about you. Um, another important question. Did Marcus Arroyo really say he doesn't have a favorite Halloween candy? Uh, he did. He did. He, um... He had his press his weekly press conference fell on Halloween, so you know different reporters were sort of um, layering in some Halloween related questions throughout the throughout the presser, trying to, I guess you know just draw out some some personality, um, that sort of thing. And I guess they don't know Marcus Arroyo because <laughs> that is not his thing. There's so do you have a costume, Marcus, that you're going to throw on later? It's like no. Well, and then a few minutes later, it's like, well, uh, you have a favorite candy? He says, I don't really have a favorite. <laughs> and it sort of went sort of went on like that. So Wait, there were more questions than that? <laughs> Surely he has a favorite candy, right? He might he mentioned um he, he mentioned what did he mention? Um uh, Sour Patch Kids later. Ah, as okay. part of like a, an unrelated follow up question, I think. But he all, it was weird. You, you should go back and watch the press conference because the way he talked about it was like, well, I don't really like them, but if they're around, <laughs> I'll eat them. And, you know, I have a hard time stopping it. Like, it was, that, it was that kind of thing. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's not big on Halloween. I don't know what he's big on. Um, but, yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty humorless. Do we think he is a uh, meal prep guy that eats the same thing for lunch all seven days of the week? I could almost guarantee. I could almost guarantee. You guys think that I'm a boring eater? I bet my menu looks exotic compared to compared to Coach Arroyo. Uh, do you think he's excited that Doug Brumfield is finally back? I think that's what he really cares about. I think he cares. Obviously, I think um, he cares about that way more than he does about what kind of costume he's going to wear on Halloween. Doug Brumfield is the guy who's basically saving the team this year. Um, and, yeah, he's back. He's at practice. They said, uh, I asked him, you know, do you expect him to be have any amount of rust or is he going to, you know, pick up where he left off? And they seem pretty confident that he's going to um, jump in there. And I think he'll be the better quarterback on the field on Saturday at San Diego State. So that always gives you a chance to win. So, yeah, that's the, the, the big story for, for this week is Doug Rockfield is back. Is it as simple as Doug Brumfield plays UNLV wins? That is not something that I would completely buy into. I know that a big theme of the press conference from Arroyo and from the players who spoke was that, you know, they got healthy over the bye week and they're re-energized. But then when you look at the, the situation, you know, Aiden Robbins, their starting running back, is still day-to-day. We don't know if he's going to play. Kyle Williams, their number two receiver, still day-to-day. He might not play. Jeff Weimers is still uh, not going to play. So, I mean, it was when their offense was humming early in the year, it was, yes, Doug Brumfield was playing great. But he also had a really good uh, skill position core around him, you know, with three good receivers, uh, productive running back. That's been whittled down to basically one receiver now. And, uh, I mean, they're – you could say that they got healthy during the bye week, but if those guys are still out, you're still counting on Doug Brumfield to make up that difference. And 
I don't know if he can do that by himself against San Diego State. So um, I doubt we'll see the 50-point the kind of offensive juggernaut that we saw earlier in the season. What do you think worries him the most about San Diego State? Probably just that that com- competitive nature of the game. Like it's, they really respect the defense that San Diego State is going to play. And if you get drawn into a close game where you can't make mistakes and you've got to really play, you, you've got to stay on script. And like I said, you've got to play mistake-free football to beat them, basically. And we've never seen UNLV do that. Uh, under Arroyo, I mean, you, their record in close games kind of speaks for itself. We've never seen them go down to the wire and pull out a game like that. And to do it, ask them to do it on the road against San Diego State, I don't think anyone's expecting UNLV to blow them out. So if UNLV is going to win, it's probably going to be something that comes down to the final possession or two, and you've got to win, you know, with a last drive or something like that. And we just we haven't seen them do that. All right, UNLV basketball question. You put out a story about uh, yeah. what you expect the rotation to be. Um, I uh, yesterday on yesterday's show, I talked about what I think it should be later in the year. Um, do you agree with me that if this team is good, if this team is truly contending in the Mountain West and has any shot at the NCAA tournament, that Jordan McCabe is out of the rotation because Keyshawn Gilbert is playing thirty-five minutes a night? Yeah, yeah. Um... That was the toughest thing for me when doing the the uh, lineup projection, just because I know the coaches like Jordan McCabe, and he's that kind of player that a coach will tend to lean on because he's reliable and he can run the offense without making a lot of mistakes. His turnovers are pretty low. Uh, he's just a reliable ball handler, but he's just not dynamic. And so you've got guys who are more dynamic, like Keyshawn Gilbert, Jackie Johnson, who I think is probably going to take most of those minutes as the season goes on. But you look at the roster and what they really do. Jordan McCabe is really the only guy who is a true point guard who can run, be that distributor first, get them into their offensive sets, call the plays. You know, you picture a point guard, you know, he's holding his hand up. He's calling the play. He's at the top of the key. He's getting you into your offense. They don't really, none of those other guys really play that role. They're, they're combo guards. They are, people who are going to run the offense as a lead guard, but not a true point. So I could see a situation where it's hard for Kevin Kruger, who was a point guard to cut Jordan McCabe out of the rotation completely. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But I do agree. If UNLV is going to be good, you've got to have players better than that, you know, and that's what they're hoping to get out of Jackie Johnson and Keyshawn Gilbert and EJ, uh, EJ Harkless and some of the guys they brought in. So I do agree with you. Overall, the most important player on this team is who for them to be a contender? That's a good question. I would say probably Harkless, just because that's the guy they're bringing into. If the season, you know, if the season goes the way they want it to, he's going to be your leading scorer. He's going to be the guy taking most of the shots, and that's probably where they're going to struggle the most this year. I would think is on offense. Where are the points going to come from? You're trying to replace Bryce Hamilton, Donovan Williams. They just need guys who can get buckets, and I think he's probably the most qualified to do that. So if E.J. Harkless comes in, I mean, he only scored 10 points a game at Oklahoma last year, uh, which is, you know, that's not bad. But if that doesn't translate to 18 in the Mountain West, they might have trouble you know, on offense. So they really need him to be that guy and be someone they can count on consistently night in and night out to put up points, or else I don't know where they're going to come from. So I, I would go with Harkless for now. 
I have uh, often clamored for shoot first guards to take over the point guard spot. Uh, first it was Jovan Mooring, then it was Amori Hardy. Um, will I be doing the same thing for Jackie Johnson for maybe not the point guard spot, but for him to be getting more minutes this year? I think so. Jackie Johnson is interesting because on a team, like I said, that's probably going to have trouble scoring on a lot of nights and they're going to be frustrating and they're going to miss a lot of three pointers and they're going to be stuck at 44 for like six minutes. And you're like, Oh, why can't they put the ball in the basket? Jackie Johnson is the guy who is the most dynamic offensive player. Probably he can drive by his man. He can score in the open floor. He can hit the three pointer. He's a little guy. He's fun to watch. That's a guy who's could probably elevate his role the most during the course of the season. So I think after a couple nights in, you know, December where they're having trouble scoring and they shoot 31% um, for the game, you're going to be, you are not going to be alone in saying like, why isn't Jackie Johnson playing more? Why isn't he getting more shots? Uh, okay. So we got to do predictions because it's about to start on Monday night. Their ceiling is what their floor is what? The ceiling is NCAA tournament. If everything goes right and they are the best defensive team in the league and they finish third in the Mountain West and make the Mountain West title game, they could be an NCAA tournament team. Like we've seen Mountain West teams make that before. It's a multi-bid league. It's possible. The floor is they just can't shoot at all. And they, you know, they're the Lakers of the Mountain West, basically. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> um, they, I mean, you look up and down the lineup. And you look at the track records and the stats. I mean, Tyler, I know you're you're a stats guy, as as am I. They don't have good shooters on this team, and it's probably the wrong era of basketball to have a to put together a team that can't shoot. So it could go very wrong where you've got five non-shooters on the floor and you just can't score at all, and you end up 500 in the Mountain West, and the season was just a waste of time. That's probably the floor. I am uh, would look at the roster and say, oh, Justin Webster might be one of their better shooters, and he shot 32.5% last year from three. What, I, what is it about UNLV? They, we've seen it over the years. They bring in guys that are 40% elsewhere, <laughs> and they come in here, and they can't shoot. What is it about that, the Thomas uh, and Mack Center that just does it to these shooters? No, that Jordan Cornish, uh, his freshman season, when he shot like 45% from three, he used it all up. That, that one season ruined it for everybody else, so nobody else is allowed to be a good shooter uh, since then. Are you guys suggesting the streak is in je- big jeopardy? No, no, they shoot way too many of them. They're good. They're good. Yeah, volume. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll continue that streak on sheer volume. Yeah, yeah. Unless they're, they, it, One happened last year, but they made it three. But one happened last year where Kevin Kruger apparently told him at halftime to stop shooting and just get to the rim. Maybe if they have a game plan where they're like, all right, we're just going to shoot layups the entire time, but even still, they'll still shoot. Someone's going to shoot a three. They'll still shoot 11 or 12, even in their you know lowest volume games. Oh, so, to Tyler, so 11 or 12. Uh, that makes me nervous. <laughs> I, mean, I can see it 0 for 11. I can see 0 for 12. you got to bump that up to like 21 before, ah. I'm, before I'm confident all right. making it through 30 games. Before we let you go, you actually do like candy. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, what I had this Halloween, I had uh, a bag of Kit Kats, which I basically was picking from the, the big bowl. And I had some Mike and Ike's. All right. Oh, Mike and Ike's. Uh, yeah. Right. True or false. You do like candy corn. 
Oh, I love candy okay. corn. Oh, I thought so. I thought I so. have I have two candles that are candy corn scented, and I had those burning. <laughs> I, did. I have a bag of candy corn right here. Uh, yeah, candy corn is great. I know it gets a lot of hate. I'm not doing it as a bit. I actually, I genuinely enjoy it. Well, he is Mike Ramallah from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, as always. Thanks, thank Mike. You. Thank you, guys. Uh, so Mike Ramallah, pro candy corn, anti-normal food. Uh, now we got some tickets to give away. Uh, we've got Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp. They are playing together at the Pearl at the Palms this Friday, November 4th. And we got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. That's 702-364-1100. If you want to go see Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp at the Palms on Friday, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number four at 702-364-1100. You know, if I'm the Lakers, I take a very hard look at this with the position that you're in. You know, I know what I can provide for a team. You know, my, my leadership, my shot blocking, you know, my three-point ability, and just my ability to make plays out there on the floor. And I take a very long look at it. You're locked in the press box. Danny is in. Degenerate's in. He's here. Danny made, uh, my favorite bet that Danny made was his bet on which team would score seven touchdowns in a game first this season. And Danny bet on the Rams. Uh, What odds did you get on the Rams? I believe it was 14 to 1. 14 to 1 on the Rams to be the first team to score seven touchdowns in a game this season. Now, the Rams have sucked. Um, have not been as good as expected this year. But you officially lost that bet. I did. Because the Cowboys scored seven touchdowns in a game. <laughs> How Six many offensive uh, what do you and think one their odds were? Uh, I believe they were, I know they were in like the top three or four. So I think it was like eight to one, nine to one, somewhere around there. I'm just disappointed you lost and we don't get to like because I was hoping for the Rams to score six touchdowns in a game you know get stopped on the one in the final seconds or something like that of course you would be great great. when are they in prime time again that would have been the best part Rams in prime time with six touchdowns and stopped at the one I mean oh you know I think they scored six touchdowns in October that's true that's true but what I actually would have hoped for Rams with six touchdowns in a game and whatever running back they're actually going to use, um, they give it to him. He breaks off a big run, but slides down at the two because he wants to run the clock out instead of scoring. I was going to say that touchdown. that or the victory formation at the one yard oh, line, like that, kneeling down, that would have been classic. That I would have loved classic. that so much. May have closed my account. <laughs> <laughs> I know that would not have happened. I, oh, the other part, I, I was cheering for the Rams to score seven in a 1 p.m. game right after somebody scored seven in a 10 a.m. I, I remember you saying that, and <laughs> that thought came into my head on Sunday, and then the Rams again were terrible. Yeah, yeah, not very yeah, good. Not very good at all. So Danny did not win his bet because the Cowboys scored seven touchdowns in a game. Um, what did you bet on and lose in the Bengals and Browns on Halloween? Uh, over three and a half field goals. Oh, <laughs> McPherson missed one. McPherson had one blocked, or no, Cade York had one blocked and made one, and McPherson missed his. Yeah, he also missed an extra point, too. Yeah. But they didn't even attempt four field goals for you. No. Too many touchdowns. And the reason why I went with it is because I believe it was Cincinnati was averaging five made field goals a game in their games this season. Do you have anything left on the uh, Astros-Phillies tonight? 
Uh, just Astros to win the series. Yeah. No, he 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 messed up his hedge, but still won. So yeah. still he won the first. He game. doesn't need to bet on it. He has a ticket on a team from Texas to win the World Series, yeah. and he tried to hedge <laughs> with the Nationals winning the series, but Phillies. he somehow or Phillies winning the series, and he somehow accidentally bet the Phillies to win Game One instead, and they won Game One. So Danny's good. He could win both bets now. I could. Your if, hedge if was the Astros decide they want to hit. No, nah, they're not going to do and that. And not give up a home run on every. That'll hit. happen. They won't give up a home run on every uh, every inning. I was looking. I was following along last night because I couldn't watch it, and the first four Phillies hits were all home runs. Oh yeah, Lance yeah. McCullers gave up seven runs on six hits and five, five home runs. Ridiculous. He gave up. There were the Phillies had two hits yesterday that were not home runs. Unbelievable. They scored they they scored seven runs without scoring with a runner in scoring position. And somebody um I follow a few betting accounts on Twitter and somebody <laughs> posted a slip. They took four Phillies players uh parlay for all four to hit a home run. It was a thousand to one and they won. They named the players? Yeah. All four players. Well, the whole lineup had a home run, so <laughs> you had to name the specific players. Yep. So it was All like right, this great... person to hit a home run, this person to hit a home run. He got four of them. Okay, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty lucky. So. Uh, yeah, like Danny said, pretty, <laughs> pretty fortunate. It was a thousand to one odds. Pretty Wonder how much you put down. Pretty put a hundred dollars down. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. You know the person? No, no, no. I think Take it was, a, from him it was just do. a random, uh, like a random FanDuel user. I think it was Bryce Harper. He just had his family place a bet for him. Well, as soon as he saw Lance McCullers tipping pitches, he was like, we're all hitting him over the fence tonight. <laughs> Let's go. Even Brandon Marsh, the nine hitter, is going to get one I was going to say, he put down the nine hitter as one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, he was. Brandon Marsh was one of them. Yeah, I, it, was, it was definitely Bryce Harper. When he when he <laughs> called Alec Bohm back, he was like, hold on, I just, I'm placing a bet, Alec. This is what, this is what we're going to do. Can you imagine here. sitting through that and you got one to go? Well, there yeah. was well a, they got them all you, in the first five yeah. innings. I don't know if you heard the story. There was a couple that got married over the weekend, and the groom had a 17-leg parlay. Oh, hit. by the way, that, did he hit that? He he did not hit it because he had over the rushing yards for... Um, Nick Chubb? No, for Mixon. However, he did hedge it, so he came out up like 40 grand or 50 grand. All right. See, you, cat, you hedge that, not your $40 bet, Danny. <laughs> 